what I would like to share with you today is a, uh, a longer, more detailed version of what I shared at the Leading in These Times conference uh, yesterday morning. The Leading in These Times conference that was referred to by Ryan uh, and just now by Eric in his prayer was that we had over a thousand people gather together to talk about revival uh, in this region, in our churches, and there was a whole series of leaders, uh, many, many, many churches represented that were saying, we believe that not only God wants to bring revival on our region, but that he will bring revival in our region, and we need to be prepared and get ready for that. Uh, I was given a 10-minute segment to talk, and as you know, I can't do anything in 10 minutes. And so uh, I had to turn on a whole different channel in my brain. So uh, we are going to take that message because it's one of my favorite messages. Uh, and we're going to talk about revival. And it is the story of Elijah going head to head with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And it is the idea of bringing down the fire of God that would bring about the revival of the people. Now, I'm going to be able to expand that a little bit more. And if indeed, additionally, God's grace let you out early. Now, that, now, do you understand when I talked about breaking out of miracles? Do you see what I'm saying? Because if that does indeed happen, clearly the end times are near. So, so let, that, anyway, let's, let's just get in. Revival's on its way. Now, here's the deal. We are going to be talking about this story, but before we ever get into any story like that, you got to know the, the background, the context, or else the story doesn't have the same power. So let me give you a little history lesson. Many of you already know this. Some of you are, are joining in for maybe the first time or you're newer to Bridgeway. So let me bring you up to speed on some ancient Israel history. Uh, the first king of Israel, his name was Saul. Started out pretty good, ended pretty bad. Uh, the second guy was called the apple of God's eye. He's the giant slayer, and that is King David. Uh, his son, smartest guy in the world, most wise man, his name was Solomon. We know Solomon. Now, after Solomon, the nation split in two. There was a north and a south. Although there were 12 tribes of Israel, and you're going to hear that word 12 uh, a lot today. There are 12 tribes of Israel. Ten remain north. Two designated themselves as south. They had different kings. They didn't like each other. They had different prophets that God sent to them to try to get things straightened out. God wanted them unified, but they were divided. The nation was ripped apart and there was a chasm between the north and the south. The story we're going to study today, it happens in the north. Now, the capital city of Jerusalem was in the south. The capital city in the north, they had to come up with a new one. And that was called Samaria. Okay. Now, a king came into power in the north and he was a bad dude. He reigned for 22 years. Why God let this man reign for 22 years, I have no idea. God should have just killed him instantly because this guy was bad news through and through. And if you think I'm just saying that, listen to what the Bible says about this guy. 
it says, And Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Now, if you came after a line of angels, that wouldn't be saying much. He came after a line of psychos. And if God says you're worse than all of them, you have some serious problems. Additionally, it says this. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So even God goes, that guy irritates me like nobody else. If God says you're irritating, you're irritating, right? doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't even matter what your mom thinks. God says you're irritating. Now, what is in, intriguing about this story is that it'd be one thing if it, a lot of times God allows a, a really nice person to marry a mean person. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's your spouse. They're the nice one. Okay, so <laughs> this guy married someone that was even more famous than he was. That was Jezebel. Okay, so this is like the power team of evil. Okay, you got super bad king with super bad queen. And so you got Jezebel and Ahab. They're now together. And Jezebel was from the Sidonian people. That is the Phoenician people, the seafaring people. If you go back and look at the original kind of sailor crew and they were around the sea and they were uh, the ones that were developing a lot of the boats and sailing methods, that's the Phoenician people. The problem was, is that they were polytheistic and had many gods in their society. Jezebel really latched on to a particular pagan god by the name of Baal. She brought Baal worship into Israel. When she married in with a king, she had extraordinary influence. It became so significant that they set up a temple in the capital city of Samaria to the god Baal. Now you have to remember, Israel is Yahweh's territory. Israel is the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. That's his backyard. Do not set up a temple to a pagan God in the real God's backyard. That's going to tick him off. So indeed, he was agitated and irritated by this. Israel allowed this pagan worship in their backyard. But here's what's intriguing. It'd be one thing if they, that everybody said, all right, so the whole Yahweh thing, the personal name of God, that's out and we're all going full Baal worship. But they didn't. They did what all of us do. They did the and. You know, know what I'm talking about? I worship God and this. I worship God and that. In other words, in our world, let's make this personal because this story that I'm about to tell you, although it is historical, it also has dramatic relevance for us today. We worship God and ourselves. We worship God and what makes us feel better when we're feeling down. We worship God and what the world tells us to worship. And so we keep thinking, as long as we love God mostly, we're cool. I would like you to try that line on your spouse. I love you mostly. <laughs> See how that works out. I don't think that that's going to convey the warm fuzzies you were hoping that it would convey. 
No, seriously, honey, I love you mostly. I am mostly dedicated to you. All right, something's not going to fly there because what it does is conversely, it indicates a betrayal in part. And a betrayal in part trumps the mostly devoted. You know what I mean? All right, so anyway, this king comes to power and in order to get rid of the competition, Jezebel starts trying to eliminate all of the real God's prophets. Even one of the guys named Obadiah, not the the guy that wrote the book of the Bible, a a different guy, apparently Obadiah is a cool name back then. I think it's a horrible name, but if your name's Obadiah, I apologize. Um, I'm quite certain your parents don't love you, but that's a whole different, whole different ball game. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, but anyway. This guy, Obadiah, who works for the king and the queen, this guy ended up having to hide, like an underground railroad, hide the prophets of Yahweh because Jezebel was trying to get him killed. So we have a very violent, very scary, very nerve-wracking environment, and God brings out a prophet by the name of Elijah. Now, if you ever want to read about like crazy miracles, hardcore prophets, read Elijah and Elisha in the book of first and second Kings. Uh, they are absolutely fascinating men. So Elijah comes up and this is putting his life on the line. God says, I want you to confront Ahab on all this business. I don't like any of it. I need you to talk to him. So Elijah goes before him and he says, Hey, God's not okay with what you're doing. And in order to demonstrate his frustration with you and his anger upon your rebellion, he is going to shut off the rain. Now we all look and we go, okay, so you're going to, sh- what do you mean you're going to shut off the rain? It's already summer. Big deal, right? It's not, it's not important. No, it's going to shut off until I say it comes back on. That launched a three and a half year long, no rain drought. Now that's going to wreck any nation. Israel already has trouble with water. They, when we were over there a couple of years ago, as a bunch of us here in the family went over to Israel, it already has challenges in being hydrated and having crops and stuff like that. There's areas of it that are very fertile and areas that are very dry. So all of a sudden, a drought is going to come upon it. Now, as if that wasn't enough, and telling the king, hey, I'm going to wreck your economy till you pay attention to me, there was something else that was significant. Baal was the god of fertility, the god of rain. Now, this is what God tends to do. He goes through scripture and he goes through history and he says, yeah, see that God? Yeah, he's not real. Yeah, see that God? No, he's not real either. You see that one? Nope, she's not real either. And just like the 10 plagues in Egypt, he systematically goes through and goes, I'm bigger than that, bigger than that, bigger than that, bigger than that, right? Well, in the same way, Baal was this type of God. Now, some of them thought of him as a sun God, but more people thought of him as the fertility God, the God of rain, the God who rides on the clouds, and the God who sends lightning. I want you to lock these into your mind because what is about to occur has everything to do with who they thought Baal was. All right? So he calls out Ahab again and he says, Ahab, you have not changed your ways. God is sick of this nation being led the way it's being led. 
we are going to make some changes. So I challenge you and your prophets of Baal to a duel. We will go up in public and we will have a fire challenge. We will both make sacrifices to our gods and we will say whoever answers by fire, that God we will serve. That is where we pick up our story. Turn with me if you haven't already to 1 Kings 18, 20. Uh, in the Bibles under the seat in front of you, it's page 300. That'll make you get there a little faster in case you're thinking, where in the world is 1 Kings? It's right before what? 2 Kings. All right, that was helpful. I'm, I'm here to help you navigate, all right? It says this. So Ahab, that's the bad king. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and he gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood. But don't put any fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. You call upon the name of your God, I'll call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that's a brilliant idea. All right, I brought pictures, okay? Now, here's the deal. If we could just throw up a, a, a picture there on the screen. Uh, I don't know if you guys have those loaded or not. If, hey, there we go. Now, this is, let's leave this one up for a second. I had an opportunity with our team to go to Mount Carmel. On the top of Mount Carmel is a monastery. And there they have a statue, and this is a statue, and also a lady I had been stalking. Uh, this, she doesn't know I'm there. I'm hiding in the bushes, but that's all right. Uh, just to show you how tall this statue is, Elijah's up there on the top and it looks like he has something in his hand and he's standing on something, but it's a massive monument. This is where they believed the event occurred. So let's go to the next picture. That's a stunning young man. Look at that man that, oh, that's me. Awkward. Okay. So, uh, this actually has no value. Let's go to the next slide. There we go. Now we're closer to the statue. Now you can see that Elijah does not have a lot of hair. On top, he has a big beard though. Uh, he's carrying what looks like a sword and he's standing on a dude. Now, this is Elijah hacking people's heads off statue. Uh, this is not the hygienic, sanitized American Sunday school version. This is the Middle Eastern legit reality version of the slaying of the prophets of Baal as this story ends up closing out. Uh, but, uh, as he's standing upon him in this, you go, well, what does it say on the statue? Actually, it's written in a variety of languages. None of those are English. But it is showing that Elijah stood for God and he brought about change, brought about revival. Let's take a look at the monastery. That's the monastery that was built up on top. You can see um, a, a gal trying to escape out the side. Now, if when we were up there, you walk up and this is like a little parking lot and you go around the left side and there's a big, huge area outside like a deck. And we all gathered out there and you can look out over the valleys. On one side, you see this. It's a very high mountain and there's a lot of areas to hang out. 
um, but you're looking out over a valley. When we get to the part of the story where it talks about God bringing rain again, he was likely looking out this angle and looking for clouds in the sky. So you can see as he's praying, he would look out and he could tell whether or not for a long distance, whether or not rain was coming. Let's go to the next slide. On the other side of the valley is the Kidron Valley, uh, excuse me, the Kishon Valley. And there is where they killed the prophets of Baal. So just we'll leave that picture up just because it's pretty. All right, move on. Now it says in the scriptures, it says Elijah called all the people around him. That meant all the influential leaders. Obviously all of Israel can't hang out on the mountain, but you have tens of thousands of people there. Why? Because this was a televised event without television. So you wanted everyone to see what was going on. Elijah got this idea in his head and he later says that it was God's idea. So how God downloaded it, we don't know. But now we have a showdown. And to give you the idea of the tension that would be created, let me give you an example. Let's say you are in an area... Um, of the city where all of your neighbors are Muslim and you talk to them, they are your friends and rightfully so. And as you're talking to them, they're talking about their benevolent God, Allah, who is the God of all things. And you said, well, that's interesting because I serve the God of all things and his name is Yahweh. And they said, well, I appreciate your thoughts. However, it's actually Allah. And you said, no, 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 no. I love you, but I'm not going to agree with you on this. It's actually Yahweh. And you said, you know what? I have an idea. Let's put sacrificial altars on our front yards and invite the whole neighborhood. And whatever God responds by fire, that one will serve. Okay, do you understand how tense that is? What if nothing happens? Then everyone's awkward. What if something ignites on their side? What are you going to do? What if, you know... Do you understand what I mean? This is the tension that's being created. Here's an additional tension. People wanted God and, and anytime you put their and up there, you have tension. Let's say I took your, um, your cozy sin and put it on the screen. What's a cozy sin? A cozy sin is anytime you're feeling horrible about your life, what sinful thing do you run to to make yourself feel better? Let's say I took that, whatever that teddy bear or whatever that, that junk food or whatever that thing is, and I put it on the screen and I said, now we're going to talk about the righteousness of God. You're automatically tense because you go, hey, 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 back off, back off. I want God clearly, and I would like the thing on the screen. So I'd rather you not draw a line in the sand. So the tension in this environment is extraordinary. People don't know what to do with this. What if God really responds with fire? What does that mean? And how is that going to change me? It says, Elijah looked at the people and he said, how long are you going to limp between two opinions? How long are you going to try to ride the fence? Because here's what's intriguing. We don't want to go to either extreme. We're very much about moderation in this society. And so we like to be in the middle. There's a problem with the middle when it comes to devotion. Jesus says in Revelation, I'd rather you be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm and in the middle, you make me want to vomit. Do you remember that? You make me want to, I will vomit you out of my mouth. 
Jesus says. So he's not all right with fence sitting. So whatever you're going to do, pick a side, but do not ever get caught sitting on the fence. That's not an acceptable position for a child of God or for a creation of God. So he said, how long are we going to play the God and game? Then I love this next phrase. He said, if God is God, let's worship him. If Baal is God, let's worship him. I love the practicality of that. What he's doing is he's calling out reality. You guys, if you want to play around with your superstition and try to design a world of fantasy in your mind where you think you can create a religion and you can have your idea and just because you believe it's super strong, that makes it true, that still doesn't make it real. I mean, as much as you want to convince yourself, that doesn't mean it's real. Either God is real or he's not. Paul said, if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are to be pitied most above, above all men. Like, man, did we screw up there? We completely lost it on that one. We have to be sure on what's going on in our lives. So he said, if God is God, then he will really respond by fire. Well, that's pretty powerful. The God who answers with fire, he is God. Now, why is that intriguing to go head to head with prophets of Baal about fire coming from heaven? What is he in charge of? Lightning. Okay, so in no way, see the way that they believed in the ancient world was that you had territorial spirits, you had territorial gods. And so for example, you'll see times in scripture where they will say our gods dwell in the mountains or our gods dwell on the plains. So if you can get your army to lead them out of their territory, you can get one up on them because their God has a territory boundary line. Well, here you have two things going on. Mount Carmel is right on the dividing line between the Phoenician peoples and the Israelite people. So they said, all right, we're not going to do it in your territory. We're not going to do it in my territory. Let's do it in the middle. And I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Your guy rides on clouds. We already shut down his reign. So how about the whole lightning game? Isn't that what he does? He does lightning real well. Okay, we're going to go on your side. Let's give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's let Baal do what Baal does best. When you talk about fire from the sky, we're talking about lightning. Okay? So it's a lightning competition against allegedly a god of lightning and the real god we all getting the tension here this is awesome all right verse 25 then elijah said to the prophets of baal choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first for you are many and they call upon the name of your god but don't put any fire to it and they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it called upon the name of baal from morning until noon saying "O baal answer us but there was no voice and no one answered and they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. That was his spiritual gift. And he said, he said, cry louder. He's a God. Now, either he's deep in thought or maybe he's relieving himself or, or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and you got to wake him up. And they cried even louder and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances. That's my name right there, right in the Bible. Do you see that? That was awesome. Y'all think you have biblical names? I got biblical name. It's right there. You guys are like, oh, my name's Daniel. I'm like, I'm sharp pointy thing right there, right in the, right in the Bible. 
They cut himself with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. All right, so he lets the other team go first. That's polite. He knows what's going to happen. He's creating the tension. He's letting it rise. He's saying, no, 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 you guys go ahead. Go ahead. I'll give you all day. Feel free. He gave them six hours to try to rouse their God. He said, I ate whatever you need. Let's go. You even pick the, the, the most likely cow to catch fire. I mean, you get to, you get to pick first. I don't know how you pick a good one for that. You pick a good cow, get him ready, and then we'll do this. But you go first. It says they began to call upon the name of their God. Now, this is how worship works. This is how prayer works. They call upon the name of their God. It means by the authority of. It means in the character of. It means, God, please listen to me. They call out on their God just like we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. They began to call on the name of their God, Baal. It says, and they began limping and cutting themselves. What is that about? Sounds barbaric, right? And indeed, it was not little cuts. It was the, the word there in Hebrew for uh, swords is war swords. These are not like little knives. This is like hacking and blood was gushing out on them. Why would you do that in an act of worship? Why would you? Because they were trying to rouse their God's attention. They believed that their God had a lot of stuff on his mind. He didn't always pay attention to what they needed. So they had to look, God, I am beat up. I'm hurting. I'm desperate. Look at me. I'm cut. I'm bleeding. I'm limping. You've got to help me out. Just have compassion and pity and respond to your people you look and you go man that that sure doesn't sound good. boy that sounds pagan let me suggest to you that our prayer lives sound a lot more like that than they do elijah's why i don't know let's play the games that you play and i play in prayer we don't believe that we should pray about things because god doesn't really care about him he's probably got a lot of other things to do And we only pray about things when they're super desperate, right? And then when they get super desperate, we try to make it even more desperate. God, if you will do this for me, then, and get me out of this situation, then I will serve you for the rest of my life. Not only that, but we believe that our desperation now will finally rouse our God. And so when things get really bad, he should be extra paying attention, right? Do you understand how that pagan view is our view? Elijah doesn't act like that at all. It says after six hours of exasperation, they were cut up, they were wiped out, they were empty, and they were hopeless. I would suggest to you that our society's leaders have told us in this world what our God wants and how we should get stuff from him. And they're wrong. They've told us that if we only buy the products and we can only be more beautiful then we'll be loved and what we find is now we have less money less hope and no love at all they tell us that if we would only 
do the right things in business and go to the right seminars and cut the right corners and make the right connections, then we will finally have the finances to provide for ourselves not only the toys that we desire, but we can secure our investments and we can have a secure retirement and provide for our families. Unfortunately, we have found that that didn't work out like that. We don't have the money we thought we would have. We've worked like crazy. We missed our child's childhood. And now we are empty and alone and we can't get it back. I would just suggest to you that in our society, they have tried to lead us into what they think that they want, what they think that we want, and it hasn't worked. No one's paying attention. The reason why Baal didn't answer is because Baal's not home. The reason why the world's solutions don't work is because no one's home. You go, well, why did they believe in him then? Because they desperately wanted to. And any time you create a superstition or any time you create a concept, a demon is very willing to jump behind it and make the little hands move. You understand what I'm saying? So just because a given religion has some effectiveness does not mean that it's right or legitimate. In the same way, if God is going to shut down whatever this belief in Baal is, he will shut the mouths of demons. He will stop them from acting. And now no one's moving the puppet. And so no one answered. They had their turn. Now it's Elijah's turn. As he began to mock them, why would he mock them? Because that just sounds kind of rude, right? And maybe it was a total flesh experience, right? Where Elijah was just like, you know what? I'm tired of you people. And he just is messing with them. That's possible. I would suggest to you that he was very frustrated with the idea that they kept saying Baal was the answer to everything. That they all had the answers. And it was the popular thing to do. I think he was angry at that movement. And he was trying to be very clear going, no, 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 press in, man, press in, do it all the way. He knew what was going to happen. It says, verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people come near to me and all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with those stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood and said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. What did he do? He said, come close. Watch this. Watch God move. He was not afraid that God wasn't going to respond. He had all the confidence in the world. And it said, and Elijah repaired the altar of God that had been thrown down. Why was it thrown down? You got two options. Either they were all using the same altar. There happened to be one altar. And by the time the pagan worship was done, everything was knocked over and it was chaotic. And we could use that as an application for our world. What has our society done with religion? but they've completely destroyed it. Now it just lays all scattered. Now nobody wants to deal with religion at all. A more likely read is that this was an ancient altar on Mount Carmel that used to worship Yahweh, used to be where God's name was honored, but it wasn't anymore because someone dropped the ball. 
So God wanted revival to come on the land. It wasn't how he wanted it, and so he was going to bring fire to make it how he wanted it. And there, Elijah selected 12 stones. And why 12? Because there's 12 tribes of Israel. But at the time that Elijah did this miracle on behalf of God, the nation was not united. It was divided. And so what he was laying was a foundation of a vision of how things should be in unity and not how they were in disunity. Therefore, he lays this foundation of a vision saying God is not all right with us all divided and ripped apart and having all this chasm between us. Therefore, he does lay it the way that he likes it. And on top of that, he places some wood. But before he gets done with the wood, he starts digging a trench and you go, why are you digging a trench? Nobody else digs a trench. I mean, this is weird, man. We're going to do a fire thing. You don't need to start digging a trench. And he's out there shoveling dirt and he's moving and everybody goes, what are you doing? He said, because what I'm about to do for God, I need a trench. That's called the preparing for the preparing. He even knows that you need to lay a whole layer before you get to the layer that people see. And so he's doing stuff that looks stupid on the outside, but he knows where he's headed. And there, after he finishes that trench, he builds the infrastructure of the wood on top of that, on top of those stones. And it needs to be laid in an infrastructure in a way that it can sustain the sacrifice that's about to be laid upon it. We have a sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says we in our bodies like living sacrifices live for God. We need to have uh, some parameters and some some boundaries and some some places where god can move we need to have some infrastructure some uh supporting structure that can can sustain a move of god because here's the problem what if we have a revival and it's an awesome night and then it all goes out what if we have a revival and it's about a week long and a bunch of people get fired up and then it fizzles out Revival needs to be built with the idea that it would be a sustained move of God. Therefore, you need to put in the infrastructure. So he lays down this wood and then he puts the bull on top of it. He cuts it just like God likes it and he places it on that altar. And then he says, I want you to grab those four big jars right there. I want you to pour water all over the altar. Now, remember, we're in a drought season. Y'all remember that? It hasn't rained for about three years. Why would he do that? Well, there's water in certain locations but there wasn't enough water for irrigation. So he goes to that certain location. He says, it doesn't matter what kind of water we waste because God is about to bring rain. That's called faith. He pours four jars of water over it three times. What's four times three? Is that an accident? So he pours water over it. That's called adding in the impossible element. He didn't want anyone to think that he was playing a trick on them. Like somehow he was what, you know, accidentally drops a match out of his pocket and, pff, and blows up. Right. And he's like, see, God did it. Or he's lighting his cigarette and all of a sudden he drops the bick. You know, it's, there was none of that going on. He said, I'm going to be very clear with you. It's God or it's nothing. I'm going to pour water all over it. So there's no way people are going to say that man did this because it is going to be impossible or it's not going to happen. And that's why I'm so fascinated by what God is doing in our region, because I'm tired of what man can create in strategy. I'm tired of what churches can do in programs. What I want is God to wreck our region. 
I want God to come in with his power. And I don't want anyone to go, well, that one church did a really good work. Who cares? I want him to go, God changed my life. Right? So sure enough, he pours all that stuff over it and it goes into the, into the trench and everything. And he prepares it. God's people have always, always prepared. Let me just share this with you. The rain was going to fall. But while it was still bone dry for a hundred years, Noah built a boat, right? Before David was a giant slayer, he slung rocks at beer cans and the, the dry pasture bored out of his mind, right? Before Jericho's walls fell down, Joshua and his team walked and worshiped and walked and worshiped. There was always preparation before a move of God. As a matter of fact, let me share this with you. While Joseph was in prison for a crime he didn't commit, he was the best prisoner. He was God's prisoner so that he earned the favor of God and man. And then he became a big deal. It's before the high priest could walk in the Holy of Holies at one time a year, before he could behold the presence of the Alpha and Omega, he washed and he washed and he prayed and he prayed. And once he was clean, then the curtain could part. And there before the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, enthroned between the cherubim, the priest ministered before God himself. There's always preparation. Before God would lower his Shekinah glory on the tent of meeting, before the Almighty filled the temple in Jerusalem... They had to be built curtain by curtain, brick by brick, knowing glory was to come. And there on the eve of Pentecost morning, just over 2000 years ago, a group of 120 men and women gathered together to seek the face of God. They waited, they prayed, they worshiped, they believed. And when the time was right for the spirit to fall, the wind came, the room shook, the fire broke out over their heads and all their preparing came to fruition as they poured out into the streets, filled with the spirit of God, ignited by his power, commissioned with his word. And that region was never the same again. God's people always prepare. We prepare for fire to fall. Verse 36. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I'm your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one of them escape. They seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Now that is revival. Do you see his prayers versus their prayers? He, he knew what his father was doing. He knew that our heavenly father was already moving. And so he joined him in what he was moving. And when he joined him in what he was moving, there was no need to pray a whole lot of fancy prayers. It was dad, show him you're real. And fire came screaming out of the sky. That's incredible. And he's called him what? Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. That's the covenant name of God, saying these people, Lord, have been unfaithful to you, but you are always faithful. 
God, come and bring fire. Show them that they might know that you are God. It was not about show them that my ministry is awesome. Show them that I'm super powerful. Show them that I'm really close to you. It was God, glorify your name. When the people fell on their faces, they screamed out that God is Lord. Revival had touched their land. The story does not end there. It says that afterwards, Elijah goes to Ahab and he said, Son, you need to go home. You lost. And I want you to get going home because it's about to rain. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. How does he know it's going to rain? Because after revival comes blessing. After fire comes healing. And there he said, you need to get going home because it's about to rain. It's about to rain hard. And as Ahab is busy screwing around, talking with his buddies, trying to get his head back on since all his dudes just got slaughtered, Elijah goes in for more prayer. And he says to his servant, I'm going to pray for rain right now. I want you to go run. I want you to look over that valley. I want you to tell me if you see any rain coming. So he said, what about now? And the guy said, nope. He goes, go try again. He prayed again. What about now? Nope. And he prayed again. What about now? Nope. And he didn't give up. He kept going and going and going and seven times. Then he said, I see a little cloud like the size of a man's fist coming in out of the thing. And he said, that's it. That's the marker. It's about to rain. Ahab, did I not tell you, get going because the rain's going to go down so hard, you're going to get stuck in traffic. You need to go now. And so Ahab takes off. Elijah, knowing that the rain was going to fall and he had more stuff to do, tucks his cloak into his belt and takes off running. And it said, and the power of God was with him. And he ran ahead of the chariot, hit the town before the king did, and it was 25 miles away. I can suggest to you that after a day of ministry, after a day of calling down fire, I'm not running a marathon. The story was that God wanted to bless his people. God wanted to return the rain, but he will not do so until there is a purification of fire. If you want personal revival, if we want corporate revival, if we want regional revival, there's going to need to be fire. And it's going to need to make things the way that God wants them to be. Then he can bring his blessing. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to move upon our hearts even now. What does this mean for us? Where are we wrong? What do you desire? So God, we pray that you would ever increasingly nudge us to give over more of our lives to you, surrender more, be more like you. And Father, in the places that are stubborn, maybe your fire needs to begin to purify. But Lord, we want healing to come to our hearts. We want revival to come to our hearts. We want healing to come to our church. We want healing to come to our region. And that means that we want revival and your fire to break out. God, transform us in Jesus' name. Amen.